Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, you probably have uh, heard on the news already uh, that the Dying with Dignity bill was passed in the Dáil last evening. 81 votes to 71. It now proceeds to a committee stage, should I say, there for consideration before it comes back to be voted on. An interesting vote indeed. The government defeated on this one, but they gave a free vote uh, to the majority of their TDs. And uh, that's the way it transpired. End of life, dying. And we hear a lot about it at the moment, don't we, with COVID? Well, I met a man on late lunch many moons ago and he made a huge impression on me and I've spoken to him in the interim since, but it's been a while. But I'm delighted to say he's back with us on the show today. He's simply brilliant. He's an end of life and grief and loss specialist. Brian Nolan, how are you? How are you doing, Terry? Thanks a million for having me on. Not at all. I really am delighted to talk to you again and a man with vast experience. And of course, Brian, you'll be knowing very well here in this neck of the woods for your work on the hospice friendly hospitals programme here for for many years. And I'll tell listeners, you've worked with the Irish Hospice Foundation and you're a man in demand all over this country and beyond for your knowledge and experience. Brian, can I ask you this first? This bill, this move forward in the Dáil about legalising assisted dying, are you for or against this? Um, am I for or against it? Well, I think, to be quite honest with you, Jerry, um, like, there's a much bigger picture here. Am I for or against it? Well, I think the fact that it's actually moved on to the stage it's moved on is probably very rushed. I think this is a hugely important bill that really demands an awful lot of scrutiny and a lot of investigation and an awful lot of conversation with different people. But it seems to me that, like, this bill is all about the end game. You know, um, and I'm just coming back to my work. My work is all around helping people to die with dignity. And I'm really interested that this bill is called the Dying With Dignity Bill. Um, my, my sort of feeling on this is that it's almost like a knee-jerk reaction to getting bad news. And I've worked an awful lot with people who are in receipt of bad news. I've trained doctors in delivering bad news. And when people get a bad diagnosis, they instantly in their head move to the dying phase. They instantly go, oh my God, so I'm going to die. And they bypass the whole bit in the middle uh, where the living with this illness has to be done and addressed. And I think the problem really starts there, that we never discuss dying in this country. Uh, This bill actually sets out that everybody with a terminal illness has a right to die. Now, I don't mean to be flippant about this, but Jerry, we actually all have a terminal illness, you and me. It's called life. Every single one of us are going to die. There's no 
nipping away from this out through the back door. And yet, faced with this inevitability that the only way off this planet is to die for every single one of us, it is something that we never talk about. It's something that we never discuss. It's something that we never, we might think about it in our heads. We never actually sit down with our loved ones or even our carers, our, our medics and discuss our dying and what that might be like or how we might want it, what we might want to be part of that journey or not part of that journey. And I think, you know, there's a whole conversation that needs to be held here uh, with all of us. We plan for everything in life. We plan for our mortgages, we plan for retirement, we plan for our holidays, we plan for our schools, we plan for everything. But we never plan for our end of life. And we all know, and I suppose this bill is trying to address it, we all know particular cases, okay, really difficult cases that have come up in the news from time to time. And we all can identify particular illnesses um, that we've seen people suffer with. And in our heads, we automatically say, oh, my God, I would hate that to happen to me. I don't know how I'd cope if that happened to me. I would hate to be dependent on another person. I would hate other people to be looking after me. I'd hate to be not able to do what I'm able to do in my normal day-to-day life now. And we've all said to other people, oh, if that ever happened to me, shoot me, put a pillow over my head, let me off. I've said it myself, you know, without thinking. Um, I would say, um, because I worked in Bowen Hospital with a lot of brain injuries there, and you'd see people who'd have, you know, they might survive, but they wouldn't survive as being the person they were before, and that there's a lot of disability and stuff. And I often used to say to nurses, God, if I ever come in here, will you just pull the plug? Never let that happen. And we say it in a flippant way, but there's there's sort of like deep thought behind it as well. And I think really, really where that comes from is that place of fear. And it's I suppose in the, when I worked at the Irish Hospital Foundation, we used to say, you know, nobody wants to die or should die alone, frightened or in pain. And I think when we think about our own end of life, that's our biggest fear. And our other fear is that we don't have control, that somebody else will be taking decisions for us. And what I've found in my working with people as they approach their end of life, and we do this particularly with older people, that... Our, over um, very, very sort of subtly and gently over time, people stop talking to you and start talking about you. Have you ever noticed that? Yes. You know, particularly when people are becoming very unwell. I know palliative care nurses who are told by the family to take off their palliative care badge before they went in to see their parent. You know, oh, she doesn't know she's dying. So there's all this fear thing around the dying piece. There's the fear bit about talking about dying, it's almost as if if we talk about dying, it'll hasten it, that it'll actually happen. Mm. Folks, there is no evidence to suggest that talking about dying actually makes it happen. It doesn't. You're talking so about- you're so on the mark, I, I, I believe still, that, you know, I was talking to somebody else earlier and they say the Irish are fascinated by death and uh, all that goes around it and, you know, the send-off when somebody actually dies. But... The peace before, as you say, that and that peace can be long or short. None of us know. That's where you would like to see the emphasis being put at this time rather than rushing through this bill. Am I wrong in saying that? Absolutely, Jerry. because I think, you know, you're absolutely right. We are brilliant at funerals in Ireland. We give you the best end of ever. Now, we have challenges with COVID at the moment, but our tradition and our culture is to really celebrate somebody's life through a blinking good funeral. You know, but in fact, 
you know, what happens at your funeral? Everybody turns up and says how brilliant you were. But in fact, in the months before your death or even the years before your death, you could be the loneliest person in the world because nobody's going to be talking to you about what matters most to you. You know, nobody's actually going to sit with you and say, how are you today? And actually wait for you to respond. Yes. You know, because the whole thing is, oh, don't mention anything, you'll only upset them. Now, we do this coming from a good place because nobody trains us or teaches us or helps us to have these conversations. They're difficult. But we have to start somewhere. And I think really, you know, when people get a diagnosis, that's when the conversation has to start. And the doctor has to be honest with the patient and with the family and tell them, you know, like to say, you know, when you're looking at this illness, you know, what do you see as an acceptable outcome in terms of your treatment and what would be an unacceptable outcome for you in terms of your treatment? You know, and that there would be a conversation around the possibility, that there would be honesty, that the doctor would say, you know, we cannot cure this illness, but there is lots of other things that we can do. And here's the plan. Now, what part of that plan works for you and what part of that plan doesn't work for you? How can we help you to live your best in the time that you've got? How, how can we help you to achieve all the things you want to achieve? And how can we help you to access the brilliant palliative care that's out there in a timely way where all your symptoms can be managed, all your jobs can be done, and that you can actually arrive at your end and have a peaceful death? You know, and I often, we throw out that phrase, a peaceful death or a good death. What would that look like? What would you, what... What jobs would you need to have done? What conversations would you need to have had with another person to be able to lie in the bed at the end of your life and take out your to-do list and say, done, 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 done. Okay, I'm finished. That's all sorted. I'm out of here. That, to me, is a peaceful death. Mm. We've got all your stuff sorted and done, and you can go in peace. But I can't do that on my own. I need trained professionals and other family members and people who are open to talking to me listening to me, handing me the tissues when I get upset. Because I can tell you, when you when you get a terminal illness or anybody's going to be told that you're going to die, that this illness is going to be the one that will take you out, of course you're going to have a dreadful reaction. Of course you're going to get the fright of your life. Of course you're going to fall off that cliff. Of course you're going to rant and rave about how unfair this is. That's the most normal thing in the world. But what you need at that time are people to support you through that. And to allow you to throw your toys out of the pram and give out about how unfair it is. And then when you've come through all that, that you can actually put your two feet on the ground and say, OK, what's my next step? What do I need to do? And Brian, tell me this. Are there enough of those professionals there to go round, number one? And secondly, how do we help the next of kin or the nearest and dearest to become what they need to be in that scenario? Well, the Irish Hospice Foundation that I was part of for about 12 years and I finished up working with them there last year, but a huge amount of the work that they've been doing Mm. has been trying to, I suppose, normalise uh, these conversations and they've, they had a national conversation about end of life that um, sort of went all over the country and had people yes. from every walk of life and profession coming together to talk about end of life and what they'd want or what they'd not want and out of that came a Think Ahead form. Now Think Ahead has its own website, it's thinkahead.ie you can download it, it's a legal document but that document actually guides you through um, 
what you would want or not want in terms of your care for your own end of life and helps you to organise like your finances, your legal stuff, organise your funeral, all that sort of stuff. It's a powerful, powerful document. So there's loads of tools out there. You know, palliative care, the hospices are fantastic. Yes. You know, like you've got up there um, the DOCA centre in attached to the Lord Hospital. Yeah. You know, just the powerhouse of care and has been. We have our ladies in Harris Cross. We have down in Cork, we've got Galway, we've got Limerick. We've got hospices all over the place providing education and comfort for people. The problem is that people hear the word hospice and they go, oh, that's it. That's a death sentence. It's not. Palliative care and hospice is, is all about living to the end. We, and they would be saying, we don't die every day until we're dead. We live every day until we die. And their whole philosophy is to help the patient, the person and their families through support and through education to come through all of this and to arrive at their end in a dignified way. I take it, Brian, that you are firmly on the side of complete openness, regardless of age or circumstances. Absolutely. Age has nothing to do with it. It's only a number. And we've become very ageist in this country of ours. You know, one of my most wonderful friends who lives up there in Drada is 91 and she was asking me the other day could I set her up on Zoom because she needed to have meetings with her friends. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> she famously said to me one day when she joined Slimmer's World, um, I said, what are you joining that for? And she said, when you get to my age, you need to recycle your friends. <laughs> <laughs> so age is only a number. It's a state of mind, you know. And um, I think the older people are and the longer they're part of your world and your life, the more you love them and appreciate them. And when they go, we lose so much. We have to value our older people. Our older people have lived long and full lives. They've seen it all before. And they're the ones who are the sage people. They're the ones with the wisdom who can inform so much through their experience and out of their experience if we'd only ask them. Every other culture values their older people as the wise ones. What do we do? We put them in nursing homes and we take over. You know, and I think sometimes when we look at these bills that are around dying with dignity and stuff like that, I sometimes would be very fearful that people who are weak and vulnerable in our society that were on a trajectory that could sort of you know, minimise their rights yes. or water down their rights to life. And I think, yes, absolutely, I can understand why people would say, if I had that terminal illness, I would want to finish it off for myself and I'd want the freedom of choice to do so. But we've, I think there are lots of other ways. And I think as human beings, we are stronger than we ever can believe possible. And that most of us, when we arrive in difficult circumstances, if we had been told we'd have been in that position a year before, we would have probably said, I would never survive that. I wouldn't be able for it. And yet here we are a year later, living it, doing it, surviving it and coming through. You know, and the same happens to us with illness. A very good friend of mine died last week and um, she was diagnosed with a terminal illness in April. And very honestly, she's a very, very matter of fact lady and a woman who liked to be in control of everything. But she looked the doctor in the eye and said, am I going to survive this? And he said, I'm sorry, you're not. And she said, right, well, here's the plan. This is what I want. And she lived her dying for the last couple of months. She planned and organised her whole funeral. She picked all the readings and the music. She actually, because she knew there was only going to be 25 allowed at her, at her funeral, she uh, did an invite list for the funeral. And she wanted to actually record her own eulogy to be played on video at the funeral. But unfortunately, time 
took over and we didn't actually get to do that. But to be able to, I said to her two days before she died, I said, this is an amazing thing that you've done to create, uh, to organise all this, um, the funeral and everything for, for the family. And she said, this is my gift to them. They're going to be sad when I'm dead. I don't want them to have to worry about having to decide what music I'd like, what readings I'd like. I just want them to turn up and it's all going to be done. And I just thought, you know, there she was, still being a mother to her kids and looking after them. But she was able to do that because there was honest and open conversation. And in planning out her end, I suppose, or her send-off, that gave her a sense of control over something that she felt she had no control over. So, the bottom line, Brian, with you, from all your time spent in this field and your expertise is hold the horses a little bit now on this bill for a time and step back from it, even though it's moved on a stage in the Oireachtas, and let's develop this conversation more. Let's develop the conversation more. Let's talk about dying more. Let's, like if somebody says to you in your family, a very simple, can I just give you a simple little tip to help start this conversation? Because um, people say this all the time. They would say things like, oh, I'm not getting better, am I? You know, yeah. or they'll say to you, I think I'm finished. You know, or they'll say to you, oh, I think I'm dying. And our automatic knee-jerk response, coming from a good place as always, don't be ridiculous. Your grandchildren, I'll be dead before you. And we've all done that. Why don't we just turn around and say to somebody, if they said to you, I'm not getting better, am I? Say something as simple as, why, why, why are you saying that to me today? Do you think you're not getting better? What makes you think that? Are you worried about that? Can I help you with anything? If you thought you weren't going to get better, is there anything I can help you with? Is there stuff you'd need to do? Is there anybody you'd like to see? Do you know? So it's not that you have to come up with an answer to anything. Yes. It's about keeping that conversation open when the person gives you the the entry. And people very generously say, like they'll come home from a funeral and say, no, I wouldn't want a coffin like that. <laughs> and we always shove that off and we say, don't be talking like that. Yeah. You know, whereas we should be saying, gosh, if you wouldn't want that, is there anything else I'd need to know about mm. your funeral? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's, yes. these aren't big, extraordinary conversations. They're very simple conversations that we have the skills to have. We just need a little courage and we need a little, we need, I suppose, a little bit of education. Yeah. And when we find ourselves in those situations, we need support. Brian, you're marvellous as usual. I'm going to leave it there for today, but I will be back to you. And I think that one little nugget of, and it's a huge nugget, let me say, of advice you've just given a moment ago there to all of us is one, if we just keep that in mind and put that into practice, we'll have made a major step forward. Brian, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care, Brian. Bye-bye. That's Brian Nolan there, an end-of-life and grief and loss specialist. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary. Not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.